papal authority and the assertion of a papal authority, excuse me. And uh, um, first, we're going to do Chalcedon, and, and we're about 15 minutes away. I started to translate that into mileage, that, uh, but I realize there's a big diversity. If I'm driving, that's about 30, 45 miles away. If, uh, if uh, Lewis is driving, it's about three miles away. He's pretty slow. Um, but uh, we're going to talk about Chalcedon in about 15 minutes. We've got a few things to do before we get there. After that, it is my hope that we're going to hit this road sign that's got the papacy, and we're going to talk a little bit about the Pope this week. But next week is a good week to come if you're interested in the, um, uh, the rise and the, the authority of the papacy and the Pope uh, of Rome. Because what we're going to do next week is really spend the entire Sunday school class on it and get caught up with the Pope. We'll still be dealing with Pope Leo, but we're going to go, Leo I, but we're going to go back to Peter and we're going to kind of get caught up and uh, uh, explore the ideas behind the Roman papacy, and, and uh, uh, it will be uh, 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 next week. Um, uh, so, if these are our road signs, and we're going to keep with our traffic theme this morning, I guess the appropriate thing to do first is to look briefly in the rearview mirror and see what we talked about last week, the nature of Jesus, so that we're all fresh in our brains as we finish the story that we started last week, a two-week story. Um, in the 300s, if I can steal a picture from uh, uh, Rembrandt on the ascension of Jesus, in the 300s, our concern was, uh, uh, and by ours, I mean the, the church's concern was, how divine was Jesus? Was Jesus 100% divinity? Was Jesus God in the same sense that God the Father is God? Or was Jesus kind of a, a lesser God? And uh, as a reminder of this, I would remind you that if you ever take your Bible and look at uh, Proverbs chapter 8. Proverbs chapter 8 deals with wisdom. And as I hold my little trusty NIV up in front of me, you'll see like uh, the whole chapter deals with wisdom. But in Proverbs chapter 8 verse, 30, or verse 22, it says, The Lord, Yahweh brought me forth as the first of his works before his deeds of old. I was appointed from eternity, from the beginning, before the world began. When there were no oceans, I was given birth. Now, we read this, and we read it in our Bibles, and it's all about wisdom. Our Bibles are English translations, right? But the church at the time used what Old Testament? The Greek Old Testament. The Hebrew had been translated into Greek, and the Greek Old Testament was called the Septuagint. And do you know what the Greek word for wisdom is? Sophia. That's right. But it also uses the word logos. And so logos was tied very carefully in with Proverbs chapter 8. So if you're reading Proverbs chapter 8 in the Greek, you're reading about what ultimately to you is the logos. The idea that the Logos was brought forth as the first of God's works before his deeds of old. And so to someone reading that, Logos is the same word used by John in John 1 when he says, in the beginning was the word or the Logos, the logic. Okay, So the Greeks, uh, a number of Greeks would read this and they thought, see, Jesus must have been created by God. Jesus is less than God. 
greater than any human being and still our Savior, but less than God Himself. And that was the the heresy that was fought over in the 300s. Ultimately, in the councils of Nicaea and and, uh, uh, Constantinople, uh, 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 the, the decision was made, the church recognized, it was signed off on by the councils, and orthodoxy was established. Jesus is 100% God. There was never a time when there was no Jesus. So if the dispute in the 300s was over how divine was Jesus, the answer was he's 100% divine. And that pushed us into the 400s. The 400s will steal another Rembrandt painting. How human was Jesus? Okay, We accept he's 100% divine, but now the question is, how human is he? Does he have a human mind? Does Jesus have to learn language as a child, or did he already know it? Did Jesus have God's mind where he knew everything? Does Jesus score a 1600 on the SAT? Can he miss a question in school? How much of his mind is divine and how much of his mind is human? Does Jesus know all languages? When he is Jesus Christ on earth? And so these were the questions that are being asked in the 400s about Jesus. And there is a debate that's taking place. And to understand the debate, we have to go back to the rearview mirror and we have to remember just briefly a little bit of what we talked about last week on church politics. Because the debate was also a political debate and a wrangling for church power. So let's go back and we'll look again at our map of the, the civilized world as known at the time in the Mediterranean area. Um, Alexandria and Antioch are really the two places that are having the big political fight. Antioch, of course, having Christian origins that go back to uh, uh, very early with Peter and with Paul. Uh, That's where Christians were first called Christians is in Antioch. Alexandria, at least traditionally believed that it had been started around 62 AD by Mark. Uh, who wrote the Gospel of Mark and uh, had been Peter's companion during some some uh, uh, work as well as Paul's ultimately and Barnabas's. But uh, that was Alexandria's claim to fame. And so Alexandria and Antioch had a dispute going about a number of things, including biblical interpretation. In Alexandria, they interpreted the Bible very allegorically. In Antioch, they interpreted the Bible very historically literal. And so the controversy has been going on between these two schools of thought or these centers of the church for over 200 years, 300 years as we deal with uh, uh, the issues of how human is Jesus. Now, these churches were concerned not only with battling each other for supremacy and, and leadership in the church world, but the concern also was about who in Constantinople and Rome were ruling as well. So there was a great deal of tension between these city centers as the, the, the folks tried to, to position themselves to be leaders within the church. A fellow from Antioch becomes the Archbishop of Constantinople. His name is Nestorius. Nestorius comes into power around 428. And his very first Christmas sermon... He gets up there and he boldly says in his Christmas sermon, don't 
call Mary, the mother of Jesus, Theotokos, which means God-bearer. Do not ever say that Mary gave birth to God. Because God cannot, God, Jesus as God existed from eternity. What Mary did is give birth to the human part of Jesus. Call her Christ-bearer, don't call her God-bearer. And, 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 and what Nestorius was doing was really putting a barb in there against the Alexandrians. Because you know what the Alexandrians would do with every Mass, every Sunday? They'd stand up and call Mary Theotokos. And so Nestorius says that's not who she was. Now, Nestorius actually had heresy in his mind, ultimately, as he ironed out his theology. As Nestorius ironed it out, and Cyril, the Archbishop of Alexandria, and actually they called him Pope at the time, the Pope, Pope Cyril from Alexandria, Pope coming just from the word Father. Um, Pope Cyril from Alexandria um, uh, 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 actually works with Nestorius and gets Nestorius in writing to commit that Nestorius thinks in essence there are two Jesuses. There's this human Jesus, but there's this divine God Christ who happens to somehow in the womb inhabit the human Jesus. But those two natures stay distinct. And it's really not that different from the Gnostic heresies that go back into the 100s. Except in the Gnostic heresies, this divine Christ actually came on to Jesus, if you recall, at the baptism of Jesus. This was called docetism. Go back and read it. It's 20 lessons ago. But the divine Christ came on to the human Jesus at his baptism, and the docetists taught that uh, right before Jesus goes and dies, the divine Christ went ahead and left and watched it from a hillside. It's not that far removed from the heresy, except this time the divine Christ comes into the human being. There is no real union of the two. They're two distinct things, divine Christ and human. And this is a heresy. And so a council is called in Ephesus... And at the council, Nestorius is removed from being archbishop of Constantinople. He's excommunicated. He's labeled a heretic. He's booted out of the church. And the church kind of all comes together and says, okay, well, we're going to be, Jesus is human and Jesus is divine. There are two natures. And then after the incarnation, there's kind of one nature. And the two become one. And there's no real clear answer. What really happens in Ephesus, and this is where we left it last week, is Antioch, well, Alexandria, starts talking and Cyril, the pop uh, or a pope or a bishop of Alexandria, continues to tell everybody, you know, there was a nature of Christ and the nature of humanity. And in Jesus, they were united. And afterwards, in Jesus, there's only one nature. Okay? And then while Cyril would continue to say that over in Alexandria, I mean Antioch, they would teach, well, no, 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 there were still two natures after the union. It's just not as distinct as Nestorius wanted it to be. Somehow they merged together. And we don't understand all of that. There wasn't a real clear understanding. It was real kind of ambiguous, which means that there's room for more controversy, right? Okay. 
Chalcedon is now only 10 minutes ahead of us. We gotta get, we're on the road to, to Chalcedon at this point, okay? Let's walk down the road. Cyril from Alexandria, who just decides, okay, let's leave well enough alone. No one can really figure this stuff out anyway. He up and dies in 444. And when he dies, do you know who takes his place? I didn't think you did. Dioscorus takes his place. Now, I looked for a picture. This is actually a picture that supposedly uh, is an, an icon of this guy. Because as you'll see when we get to the end of the lesson, we actually have the first church major denomination split that we're going to look at today. Of a denomination that's still around. See? And they happen to think this guy was a saint. They're about the only ones who think he was a saint. Everybody else labels him a renegade at best, a thug at worst. This guy, I, the word I'm using, I don't know if I put it in the lesson, I don't remember, I wrote that at 3 in the morning. But uh, the, the word that I'm using, he's a rascal. Okay. Did I use that? Okay, He's a rascal. Okay. That, that's the nicest way to put it. Dioscorus of Alexandria takes over when Cyril dies. He's the next uh, Alexandrian pope, father, bishop, archbishop. And he decides, hey, I'm not letting this stuff lie. I'm not happy with this. I don't think Antioch up northwest, up northeast of here, you know how the northeasterners are? <laughs> I'm down here in the southwest. God's country. Those northeasterners, they don't have a clue and they're speaking heresy and I'm going to stop it. I just hadn't figured out how yet. And then all of a sudden, opportunity presents itself. It presents itself in the form of a monk named Eutychus. Now, Eutychus was either incredibly crafty and smart or dumb. I haven't decided which. I've read historians who seem to take both sides. Some say he was very dumb. Well, not dumb, just kind of thick. Some say, and naive. Some say he was actually incredibly crafty. But I will tell you this. He was a heretic when it comes to the form and nature of Jesus. What he said is, Jesus is not the same substance as us humans. In fact, if Jesus has humanity, the humanity of Jesus is a drop of wine in the ocean of his divinity. And uh, this uh, wasn't a good thing. So, it looks like that crafty rascal, Dioscorus, down in Alexandria, went to work here on this guy. And saw in Eutychus a great chance to really mess things up. Now, understand, Dioscorus actually agrees with him. Okay? This guy is espousing an Alexandrian view. But secretly, what Dioscorus does is he goes up to, he sends some emissaries up and says, hey, that guy's, that, don't you all think he's a heretic? Isn't, isn't this heretical by everything you're doing? You got this monk up there and he's teaching this. He's a heretic. Don't you think you ought to do something about it? Why don't you all call a council? I think you ought to kick him out. You ought to excommunicate him. And so they do. They call together some bishops from up in the Constantinople area. 
And they call out Eutychus. And they said, Eutychus, we think you may be a heretic. We've all gathered together. We'd like you to come present your defense. And Eutychus says, well, you know, I'm a monk. And I kind of took this vow not to leave the monastery. Sorry. (laughs) They said, okay, okay, okay. Second time. We're going to ask you again. We're telling you, come on. We can't convict you without you being here. You need to come. Because we think you're a heretic. Eutychus says, you know, man, I'd, I'd, I'd love to come. But I'm not feeling good. I'm an old guy. Uh, I'm just a little ill. Uh, I can't come. So then the bishops say, okay, three counts and you're out. We're allowed to pass judgment on you without you being present if you refuse three summonses. So here's your third summons. Get your tail in here now. So the old sick guy who'd sworn to stay in his monastery decided to show up. And he goes in front of the bishops on a Monday morning. And the bishop said, Are you teaching that Jesus isn't human? And Eutychus says, You know... This is, these are deep things. I'm just, I'm an old guy. I don't, I don't, I'm, not, I'm not real learned in this stuff like y'all. I'll just say whatever y'all want me to say. What do you think he is? Well, now someone's taking down notes of all of this, okay? I mean, they got like a court reporter there. Huh? Court reporter sitting there taking this down. And Eutychus says, hey, you know, I'm, this, this is not my field of specialty. You know, I'm really good at like... Uh, cauliflower. You want to know how to grow cauliflower? Okay, he didn't really say that. But I mean, he just says, this is not my area, okay? Don't, don't try and trick some old man into doing something just to boot him out of church. And they said, well, we've been told that you think that there are actually two parts of Jesus that, that the humanity is not 100% human. Jesus doesn't really have human mind and human willpower. That's what we think you've been saying. Have you been saying it? And he says, well, do you think it's true? If you think it's true, then yeah, I was saying it. If you don't think it's true, then you're probably right, and I'll just say whatever you want to say. Just tell me how you want me to say it, and I'll say it. They said, no, 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 no. No, this is not about what we want you to say. This is about what you're saying. And that's what we think you're saying. And we've got witnesses. And all the witnesses say, that's what he said. I heard him. I heard him. I heard him. And he says, well, you know. And they said, ah, we don't need to hear from you anymore. We got the witnesses. You're out. Boom. You're excommunicated. You are out of God's family. You're out of the church. You're gone. And they boot him out. Now, he's no longer the monk Eutychus of Constantinople. This takes 10 seconds to do. But it's very dramatic. (laughs) Guess what happens? Dioscorus, who put this whole scheme together, sends for him and says, Hey, babe, come on down here. You can now be the monk Eutychus of Alexandria. We'll accept you into fellowship. Come on. You haven't done anything wrong. You haven't taught anything wrong. This is just, this is those corrupt bishops up there that have been run by Antioch. And this is classic of what those Northeasterners can do when they get their way. And you just come on down here. 
And we'll accept you into full fellowship. And, and, and in fact, and at this point, the bishop, the Oscarus, starts working the emperor over there in Constantinople and says, hey, we need to have a big council. This shouldn't have been done by just your local bishops. This needs to be the church at large. Now, I'm failing to do justice here if I don't tell you that the archbishop of Alexandria, this Dioscorus guy, had a ton of power over Constantinople. Do you know why? Almost all the food that was farmed that Constantinople ate came in from Egypt. Had to leave the delta at the port of Alexandria. And in essence, the archbishop kind of ran the town and the port and all of the sailors and everybody else. You tick him off, your food prices triple. Everybody's upset. Can't get ready available grain. Can't get ready available rice. Can't get ready available foodstuffs. So the emperor listens to him. And the emperor says, you really think we ought to have a big council? He says, yes, we ought to have a big council. The emperor says, well, okay, I guess we could have another one. Let's go back to Ephesus. And so this time Dioscorus himself goes. And he brings with him a bunch of renegade thug monks. Okay? Now, you might be thinking, there should be no renegade thug monks. (laughs) Well, maybe you're right. But it doesn't change the fact that there were renegade thug monks. Okay? So, and, and at this point, the Roman peace is long dissolved. You've got vandals and, and robbers and goths and all sorts of marauding tribes. Travel is not safe anymore. So these, I mean, you expect Dioscorus to go without a few bodyguards? He needs, needs a few Howards around that, that if... Worst comes to worst, I'm picking him on my team if we break out into a fight. Okay. Hey, you need some guys with the bulk, the muscle. And so Dioscorus takes him. I was able uh, to find a picture. Oh, wait, that's not, that's wrong picture. Um, Dioscorus does not go alone. And he shows up at Ephesus... And he's orchestrated this whole thing, understand. He's orchestrated. I mean, the guy missed his calling. He could have been a professional chess player. He's been looking like 12 moves in advance. He shows up, and he's got the thugs. He's got the muscle. He brought security for the event. And he comes in with all of security and takes over. The council says, okay, I'm here. I'm here with security. I probably ought to be presiding over this since basically the emperor called it because I told him to. That pretty much puts me in charge. If anybody disputes that, you're welcome to talk to my thugs because they'll be glad to explain to you why it is I'm in charge. Is that clear to everybody? And all the timid little non-ninja monks say, uh, yeah, yeah, fine by me, you know, hey, it makes sense. They kind of start backing up. Okay. Yeah. Now, a few of them don't. The Pope Leo has sent a letter 
explaining why all of this is, is uh, heresy from that monk Eutychus. And Pope Leo has put it together. It's called Leo's Tomb, T-O-M-E. Leo has put this letter together and he sent it and told the Archbishop of Constantinople, the new one Flavius, he said, hey, read that letter of mine to everybody. It sets it all out and just make them do what I tell them to do. And because uh, Leo's not traveling over there, Leo's got to stay back in Rome. And uh, 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 Flavius gets up and starts to read the letter. Dioscorus says, <laughs> time out, time out, time out. We ain't reading that letter. Flavius says, well, you know, I've been told to read it and, and he's not here, but I'm his delegate and I've been... said, excuse me, uh, we need some order over there with Flavius uh, security. Uh, we've got a rebel rouser over here. And so security, the thug monks, the ninjas, they go over and they basically beat up the Archbishop of Constantinople. The letter doesn't get read. The position paper doesn't get read. And... Within a few days, the archbishop dies, arguably from the injuries of being beat up by the thugs. At this uh, council, the tables are turned. And, uh, okay, there's got to be a better picture. I couldn't find one. Y'all are welcome to email me a better picture, but that's as close as I could get to turning the tables, okay? Um, uh, you, you Google image turn. The tables, and you get all these pictures of uh, record players. <laughs> so I almost threw one of those up there for turning the tables as a turntable, but I went ahead and did this. So uh, uh, Dioscorus turns the tables and basically says, Okay, time out. Y'all had excommunicated Eutychus the monk, but Eutychus is right. It's all these Northeasterners that are wrong. So all of these guys are excommunicated. And we're taking over. And we've got the church. And it is one nature after and not two. And don't go around talking about the human nature of Christ and the divine nature of Christ. He's hardly human at all. And heresy wins. Now the Pope finds out about this, Pope Leo, over in Rome. And uh, he goes to work to try and reverse the heresy. He goes to Theodosius, the emperor. He says, uh, 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 sends a letter, says, Emperor, uh, this is heresy and this is wrong. And this destroys the fabric and basic structure of, of Christianity. I mean, this is just, you can't say Jesus isn't fully human and be Christian. You've just become a heretic. And the emperor says, ah, forget it. We got, we're getting food from Egypt. We're happy. You know, go back and do whatever you guys do over there in Rome. But leave us alone. This is the way it's going to be. And I mean, things look bleak. It looks like the church is about to divide. Leo is emphatic. Leo says, he says, this wasn't a church council. This was a council of thieves. A robber's council. In fact, even today, historians call it the robber synod or council. Of Ephesus, of 449. I mean, that's, that was the term. He says, they just ripped off God. They've ripped off the church. They're thieves. They're robbers. They don't have the church. They're heretics who have gotten control. But the emperor, Theodosius II, stands by the heresy. Now, I wanted a picture of him. But bless his heart, 
he never did anything famous enough to get his picture except on the coins he made. Because he stood by his heresy and he wouldn't change it and he wouldn't let anyone else change it. And he wouldn't call another council and he wouldn't call another synod. And that's just the way it was going to be and the church was going to be run by what we would consider, rightfully so I might add, heretics. And that's the way it was until July 28, 450. Yeah, you know. Now, I love the way Olson writes about this in his book, and I footnoted it for you in case you ever come across a desire to read it. Olson says, And it was going to be the church was run by heretics and the church was based on heresy until God intervened and killed him. I mean, Olson sees this as God just saying, Okay, fine, and kind of flicked him off the earth. What happened, if you were there, is on the 26th of July, he was on a hunting expedition out having some fun, and he got thrown by his horse, and he died two days later. And so when he died, the generals, if you will, or the, the army, if you will, said, let's get Marcion, our general, to be the next ruler. And so Marcion's got the army. The problem is Marcion's not really of the line, the family line, but this fellow Theodosius had a sister. She was uh, dedicated to God, a virgin. And he says, you know, if I marry you, then you and I can kind of do this together. And I'll be in the family and it all works out. And she says, that's fine as long as I can stay a virgin. He says, that's fine. I'm only marrying you for the power. So it's a win-win deal. So they get married and they rule sort of together. And now when Pope Leo tries to reverse the heresy, he has a receptive audience. The emperor. He says, now, let's get this right. Let's call another council and let's set this one down in Sicily so I can show up with all of my bishops. And the emperor says, uh, the uh, emperor Marcion and, and his wife say, no, 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 no. We're going to have it here, but uh, we'll make sure this time, ultimately they were going to have it in Nicaea. They move it up to Chalcedon, which is just right over the river from from Constantinople, so that they've got their own troops there to enforce it. And so the emperor says, let's do that. And so the Chalcedon, and, and I got a call from Lewis uh, Thursday night on my cell phone. I picked up the phone. He says, hey, what are you doing? I said, you don't even want to know. He said, you in town? I said, no, I'm in New York. He says, well, what are you doing? I said, well, I'm lying here in my hotel bed reading the Acts of the Council of Chalcedon. I'm on volume two. He starts laughing. He says, you are such a nerd. <laughs> and I couldn't argue with him. I'm a nerd. I got so excited. You know, they put this out in an English translation in 2005 by the Liverpool Press. So, anyway... Um, um, it's really cool. I mean, they had people taking notes. You can read the whole blasted council. And it's so funny to read because you get to know some of these guys that are talking. It's like, it's like today. Some people are talking just because they want to hear themselves speak. And you're looking at it saying, you know, no one's paying attention to what you're saying. And then other people talking, you're just like on the edge of your seat because it's really good. And then other people talking, you think, that's just stupid, you know? That guy's just dumb. And some people talking, you think that they're whack jobs. And I mean, you can just read through the whole thing and it's just totally fascinating to me. But anyway, uh, on the way to the council, uh, uh, Dioscorus is coming. He's going to go to the council. And bless his heart, he's not going to leave well enough alone. 
He understands that before the council, this time, Leo, Pope Leo's paper that, on this issue that would not get read last time without the thugs beating people up, the emperor sees that everybody coming to the conference has a copy so that they can read it on the way there. So, Dioscorus is on his way to the conference and he's thinking, all right, I'm going to fix this. On his way there, he decides, hey, while I've still got the power, I'm excommunicating the Pope. (laughs) And he declares Pope Leo excommunicated from the church. Bam! Bishop of Rome is gone. Huh. And then he shows up and finds out that his thugs aren't really welcome and that uh, the might of the imperial army is there to enforce this. And at Chalcedon, business is taken care of. The first thing they do, they reverse the robber synod, the council of thieves. They read what happened. And it's so funny, as they read what happened, you've got it, some of the same bishops are there. And these are bishops who are saying, uh, yeah, I guess I'll go along with it instead of being beat up. Okay? And all of a sudden, the minutes are being read from the council. And these bishops who realize that the tables are very different now are there and and their voices being read saying, oh, yeah, I'll go along with that. And they're just sitting there and you just see the blood draining from their face as they say, well, you know, I did not have my hearing aids in at that council. You know, and they're, they're coming up with every excuse possible. That council gets reversed. Most of those people get forgiven. Then Leo's position paper, his tome, is actually read to the people uh, there in in together with the conference. And they they all basically adopt it. They rewrite it some, but his position is is good, solid, orthodox Christian position, and it gets passed. Then they turn to Dioscorus. They try him, and they excommunicate him. And, And, I mean, here's like one of the... I'll read you just briefly. Pescasinus. I'm guessing that's how he pronounces his name. I've never met a Pescasinus before. Pescasinus, Bishop of Lilibam in Sicily, says, quote, Many are the deeds committed with lawless audacity by Dioscorus, bishop of the city of Alexandria, against the church. I'm skipping some of it. Dioscorus thinks it's a matter of distinction to persevere in evil when he ought, as is fitting, with bowed head and groans be lying flat on the floor prostrate because he didn't even allow the reading of the letter of the most blessed pope written to Flavian. With the result that the impiety, that's ungodliness for those of you under 18, of wicked doctrine was increased and harm and scandal were caused to all the churches. And if that's not enough, he's greatly surpassed his first crimes with his later ones. Namely, he had the audacity or presumption to pronounce excommunication against the most holy and sacred Leo, Archbishop of Great Rome these kinds of speeches. Well, Dioscorus is excommunicated and kicked out of the church. Theotokos is back and uh, written into uh, uh, what is appropriate to say. And uh, they say the following. Jesus is the same perfect in Godhead. He's 100% God. And the same perfect in manhood. 
He is man as well as God. Jesus is truly God and truly man. And then the Council of Chalcedon, Chalcedon sets up what theologians have since called the four fences. Now, here's the picture here. Church can't tell you definitively, and church theologians can't tell you with exactitude what it means for Jesus to be fully human and fully God. I'm not sure humanity really can understand that. I think that's one of those things that when we get to heaven, we'll understand fully even as we're fully understood, or at least we'll understand it more. But what they can do at least is set up some fences, and they set up four fences and said, as long as you're inside these fences, you can speculate and think all you want. But if you step outside of these fences, you've just left orthodoxy and you're a heretic. Okay? So here are your fences. There is no separation in Jesus between God and man. They are united. They are, are, are one. They are without separation. Yet, the two aren't confused. There clearly is divinity and there clearly is humanity. And you should not think that the two are confused with each other. And there's no change. It didn't change during the time. The the, the humanity didn't change. The, The godliness didn't change during the time he was together. And there's no division. You can't really separate them. You know, there wasn't two human, two, you know, Jesus wasn't possessed by God. Somehow, without that division, they, they were united. Okay? So that's it. Now, there's one other little thing that happens at this, uh, at Chalcedon. It's called Canon 28. Canon 28 was a nasty little canon that the Pope did not care for. And the Pope ratified all of Chalcedon except Canon 28. It took him a few years to do it because this is an interesting freebie. We're almost out of time. I've got to throw it in quick. At this point, traffic is so bad and traveling is so unsafe and the East and West have separated enough that the Pope and all of his people in Rome don't really have anybody that's real good in Greek. So they couldn't understand the minutes because the minutes were in Greek. And they didn't have good translators to translate them into Latin. Isn't that kind of interesting? Okay, so anyway. Canon 28 says that uh, the Bishop of Constantinople is equal to the Pope or the Bishop of Rome, Archbishop of Rome. Now, the same sentence just a little bit later on says, but second to the Archbishop of Rome. But this idea of equality between them, Leo wasn't into because Leo was real into papal authority. And we'll discuss that next week. Now, I've got to tell you one more thing before we get to the points for home. This is uh, a tree. And uh, we've kind of been growing up that tree, but we finally get our first branch off the tree. Because there is a group of Christians, if we use that word, that say this is wrong We believe that Dioscorus was right. We believe that what's happened here is wrong. We go back and just take the Nicene Creed from the 300s. We believe in that. And this is all wrong. And Dioscorus is a saint. Anybody care to guess where that church was going to be located? Egypt, Alexandria, uh, the home. And they didn't buy into this. And so if you are in Copperfield, you'll see St. Mary and the Archangel Michael's Coptic Orthodox Church. There's one also in Bel Air. 
the Egyptian Orthodox Church broke off and still has... Uh, 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 you, you can go to their website. I've put it on the, the paper uh, because they are emphatic about uh, what they believe. And this was the divergence of them, and they've never come back into orthodoxy. Martin Luther, most Protestant churches, all accept as orthodox and true faith what uh, Leo had put out in his position paper and what uh, the Council of Chalcedon held. Uh, but uh, the Coptic church, and actually there's a Nestorian break-off too that the Syrians did who still followed Nestorius. And uh, we'll see that throughout history. Here are your points for home. Three passages of Scripture that I think uh, really speak to me in the midst of these lessons on the nature of Jesus and the way the church handled it. First from 1 Corinthians, where is the wise man? Where is the scholar? Where is the philosopher of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world. Since in the wisdom of the world, through its wisdom, did not know him, God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. The foolishness of what was preached was simple. It was Christ crucified. And that's the power of God and that's the wisdom of God. And Paul says that these are spiritually understood says it this way in the second chapter of 1 Corinthians. We speak of God's secret wisdom. None of the rulers of this age understood it. The idea of how God and Jesus are one and how Jesus is human, the incarnation, that is a profound mystery. That's not something that's just readily available. That's not something that's just easily understood. We're talking about the creator of the entire existence of, of the universe becoming something he created. And that's mysterious and that's the paradox and that's not something easily understood. But what we do know has been revealed to us by God's Spirit. No one knows the thoughts of God and how this stuff happened except the Spirit of God. And this is what we speak. And when we speak, Paul says, we do it in words not taught by human wisdom but taught by the Spirit. Expressing spiritual truths in spiritual words. This is spiritually understood. And if you don't have the Spirit of God, you, it just seems foolish to you. But if you do, it's a mighty thing. Doesn't mean you understand it all, but you appreciate it. Does that make sense? And then the passage out of Colossians. Paul had warned early people who were getting into early Gnosticism, not that far off as I told you before. See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human traditions and the basic principles of this world rather than on Christ. In Christ, all the fullness of deity, 100% God, lives in bodily form. 100% man. And you've been given fullness in Christ. The reason we and our humanity have fullness through Jesus is because Jesus was human. If he wasn't human, he doesn't have the fullness to give us. For what it's worth. Get ready for uh, the rise of the papacy. I'll try not to uh, 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 take too long. Would you pray with me? Lord, I thank you so much for the honor and blessing uh, uh, it is to get to study and to teach uh, your hand in history. And Father, you are beyond our words. We marvel at your wisdom. We marvel at 
Jesus Christ, we marvel at what you did to save us. We don't have full understanding, God, but we certainly do understand that that you have done something uh, for us out of love and out of concern. Father, uh, uh, you came so that we might better know you, so that you might provide a way for us. And we thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen.